Hey, do badder. As you know, at Bad Boy Running, there's nothing we like better than slipping into a pair of trainers and heading on out on a lovely winter's day in Britain for a brisk run. Only kidding. We hate running. And we hate runners. Instead of wasting time burning calories, how about accumulating them? All from the comfort of your sofa. Think of it as pre-fueling for your next ultra. The more fuel you have, the better a runner you'll become. Download the Food Hub app today and get your favorite takeaways delivered right to your door. Don't interrupt your Netflix viewing as your body atrophies around you. Simply download the Food Hub app to get access to exclusive promotions and discounts from your favorite independent restaurants. Because Food Hub aren't grasping bastards like other food apps, they don't charge commission, which means ordering through Food Hub is on average 15% cheaper for the same meal. Also, Food Hub won't charge you the annoying service charge others do. So download Food Hub right now and use FYB15 for 15% off your first Food Hub order. Baby, Baby come, come back with a takeaway from Food Hub. They're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Bye, 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 bye. Hello, Jody Rainsford. Hello, David Heller. So, welcome to Bad Boy Running. We have got an incredible episode for you. If you've not seen the documentary yet called Run, that is on YouTube in most major countries. I say that. I know it's on in the UK. So, I assume it's probably elsewhere. Um, but And to be fair, that is a terrible title to just search on, on Google, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing worse would have been sex or porn <laughs> with, with, with more things competing for, for audience space. But, um, yeah, we speak to Richard Bullock, who has made this incredible documentary about the refugee team that goes to the Olympics. And uh, you may find that confusing. We found that confusing, actually. It's not the team of supposedly clean Russian drug sheets. It's the ones of genuine refugees. It's an incredible story. And uh, Richard takes us through not just the making of the documentary, but actually the whole program and the behind the scenes and some what actually happens to, to these people involved because it, it takes a turn in a different direction to what you'd expect at times. But um, that is coming up. But, uh, but JD, how are you? How are you in the meantime? I'm good. Uh, aren't you? You should be wishing me something. Oh, happy birthday. Happy Yay! birthday. <laughs> hey, which what's the number? Well, I'm finally catching up with you. 42. Oh, man. We we need to... I'm, I'm trying to think who our demographics are. We need to get at some point... We need to do like a, a Caprice. Or we need to do a... Um, we need to be, like suddenly be 33 again and be like hip and cool. And like, hey, whoa, we still got it. We still got it. <laughs> Aren't we like that now anyway? Like, what, what will be the difference? Um, well, just, just... I mean, age is a number, but for some... For things like Tinder, not that you know, it doesn't matter now, but for some things it matters. <laughs> it matters. Flexible for Tinder? What? I don't understand. What, I, but, um, what I've done? What I've done is we've been doing the. Um, so if you're not part of the uh, uh, Bad Boy Running Club, 
um, we've been doing an advent and it's actually been pretty good. I, I thought it would all peter out by day three, but it, it has actually been very good. And like, you know, it's, it's probably a couple of weeks on now. It's probably finished now by the time you listen to this. Um, but you can go back and search it. And so what I decided to do, I was setting the task for today and I set a burpee task for today. And the amount of burpees you do is proportionate to how much young, how far away your age is to 42. So the younger than you are, the more burpees you do. If you're around the same age, you only have to do a few. Does that mean there's some guy who's 93 who's going to be there all day absolutely <laughs> fisting himself in his care home? Well, I did. That's the thing. I, I tried to come up with a formula. Of course, <laughs> typical, typical do bad. I, I recorded the, um, uh, the task, the challenge so many times. And I was thinking, all right, I've done this formula. I even wrote it on a whiteboard. And I kept changing it going, oh, they're just going to get confused if I, it's just the simplest formula. And of course, as soon as I posted it after I did the 17th take of it, as soon as I posted it, people were like, wait a minute, that means I'm doing minus five. I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. It's like, and so then everyone gets involved in mathematical equations uh, and all sorts of stuff. And just, just do fucking burpees. I don't care. How complex was this? Oh, it, okay. it was basically, it was like 42. So if you're younger, this is this is the problem. I don't think I said that in the <laughs> on the on the explainer. Forty two minus your age plus five. So even if you're forty two as well, you're at least doing five burpees. Whereas ah. if you're like twenty one, you're doing a shitload of burpees. So oh, yeah. So if you're fifty, you're doing minus three burpees. Well, you're not because it's how far away you are from the thing. So, th- so this is what I probably didn't explain enough. I say like if you're older, then you take your age away from forty two plus five. And then, so, yeah, I didn't explain that, though. I did in a previous take that never got published. That's the only problem. I so, mean, people are desperate to see that, I'm sure. What, the, uh, the earlier takes? <laughs> no, I don't think they are. <laughs> it's been good. It's been, really, it's been really good, the Advent thing, and, the, uh, and everyone joining in and stuff like that. And it hasn't been, it hasn't been too bad. I had to run around. Singing. You're saying this on day four, as if, as, as if it's been this roaring success for week really? on week. What? We're talking about BBR here. Like, <laughs> you know how difficult it is for us to get people to go on camera? Like, will we try to get on camera? In the group, people are going on, like, a couple of the tasks we had so far were um, uh, run around a park or somewhere shouting for an imaginary dog, which was brilliant. Like, people were really good. <laughs> Another one is um, sing a lot, um, run and sing um, at the top of your voice a Christmas song, which I did. And I thought I'd be clever and go out really, really late when there's no one around and start singing and of course i go down a road and literally every single household seemed to be on their doorstep almost waiting for me to come screaming by singing at the top of my lungs um but it's been really good it's been it's been really good i don't i i I keep thinking everything's going to peter out after a few days but everyone's very enthusiastic that's adding quite a bit of pressure to what uh, what the ideas are next because they, they, they've started off with some quite funny ones and people are going to feel that they have to try and match those. And that's going to become increasingly hard. If you're on day 30 as well, you're hung over from Christmas. And you're like, oh, no, I need to be seen as being a hilarious person by the if, whole group. If you're on day 30 and you're still doing Advent, you fundamentally misunderstood what Advent is. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Very good point. The, the thing is, but people are making the mistake of going. So, like, some people have got like nine burpees, and of course, some some of these wa- some of these warriors in there are going, "Oh, nine burpees is nothing." I'm like, you're saying that very early. Like, a lot of people have got a lot of uh, 
a lot of uh, tasks to go, and then you're giving it you're giving it all that when it comes to the amount of verb. There's there's going to be there's going to be a shitload before Christmas that you're going to have to deal with. <laughs> well, I'm on the fifteenth, so that is something to plan for. So how have you how have you been, David? What, well, I have to describe to the listener here that it's like I'm um, looking into the Playboy Mansion here because I'm looking <laughs> at a, a white haired man in. <laughs> In his Superman uh, dressing gown. I didn't see it was a Superman dressing <laughs> gown. I'm ready for action. I'm waiting for the call. Come on, Lewis. And then a scantily clad lady in the background. <laughs> <laughs> She's got clothes in that. She got. She, she got changed in the background without me. <laughs> but um, well, I'm I'm going through a Lothario a weird time space. at the moment. <laughs> Say again, a Lothario I mean, phase. When am I not? When am I, ladies? <laughs> but um, yeah, weird. so obviously I I'm Amazon. I have a relationship with Amazon, as we all do. I've been I've been a little bit angry with them recently. So it turns out that I owe a big tax bill in Poland. <laughs> now, do you know what? There's something about you that screams large tax bill. <laughs> Now, this is um, for the it, it's it's a, it's a saga. But for those of you who've listened to an early episode, where uh, Amazon has this program that is supposedly brilliant for sellers, if I ship my items to Amazon in the UK, which is somewhere in Birmingham, they then will ship those items around Europe and sell them locally without me having to pay loads of shipping charges so sounds good in, deal. that sounds that sounds perfect yeah so uh, about seven months ago and maybe maybe a year ago um I, I didn't realize that by doing this program which is at a click of a button and the simplest thing you know just the most encouraging thing by amazon like go and do this go on you'll make 30 <laughs> percent more sales there's, there's no downside read this <laughs> So then uh, I then had to, I, I then, because as soon as items landed in Germany in a warehouse, I was then um, needed a, v a VAT number for Germany. So I had to register for VAT in Germany. But by Germany then not being part of this program, it meant that the rules of the program no longer existed, even though the way that everything was sold and distributed was exactly the same. I then had to pay for shipping to all of these countries, but Amazon doesn't tell you that. They don't send you an invoice. They just just kind of whittle away your money from somewhere that you're desperately trying to figure out where it's all going. So actually, for quite a long time, I was spending a huge amount of money on shipping that I wasn't aware of because of this issue that Germany had created. Now, it turns out that now that I've registered for VAT in Italy, France, Poland, Germany, um, which is quite cumbersome, as I'm sure you'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> for someone who doesn't really like having to do paperwork or follow rules for are anyone. You, are, you, are, you, are you a bit like Boris? You're not, you're not a details man. I'm not, I mean, look at the hair. Look at the hair. <laughs> and um, so it turns out Amazon, before, because in the UK, you charge VAT if you're a company big enough. So the idea is if you're a really small company, it's you're new to selling, you're new to business, rather than just weighing you down with all this extra red tape. 
um, once you hit a threshold, you then start start charging VAT. And, and for my first two years of caffeine bullet, I, I wasn't at that threshold. Um, and so therefore, didn't have to worry about it. And also, it means I didn't have to charge VAT in other countries because the EU has these agreements. But it turns out, because I'd registered for VAT in Poland, I didn't realize, and, and buyers of Amazon, bear this in mind if you care about your environment. And, and I have been doing all of my shopping this Christmas off Amazon because they are the devil. <laughs> turns out, for my sales, for a lot of my sales in the UK, where I ship to Amazon in Birmingham, they've been shipping those products to Poland so that when people buy them in the UK, they can ship them from Poland, incurring Polish VAT, back to people in the UK. Just so, but for the only, and I think the only pur purpose in doing this is to utterly shag me up the bumhole. Um, because <laughs> surely, I mean, just in terms of the environment, in terms of expense, in and so I've then received retrospectively they've now filed my Polish accounts for six months prior to when I was um, registered in the UK. And suddenly it turns out all of my inventory has been going via Poland. And even though the sales have been made in the UK by a UK company to UK people under Polish VAT law, I then owe them sales tax. So, um, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. And um, Amazon obviously hide behind the fact, well, our, you know, our rules are all there for you to read. <laughs> and, you know, we make all of our, um, we, we make everything. Theory. That's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Well, um, if you're going to trade in Poland, you should really know the language, David. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the frustrating thing is, you know, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of the polls, um, but. I've made about fifty pounds worth of sales ever to Poland, and I know all this because I look at the sales. So, for some reason, now so that you're paying, you're paying a massive amount of Polish sales tax on barely any sales made in Poland. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've incredible. lost, I, and and so I'm now left in. I, I'm obviously ranting at, at an Amazon, and um, it, Amazon are the type of company that just go, we don't give a shit about anything you say or anything you do in any way um if your customer will send you stuff for free yeah but if you're a seller go to hell well so, they've, got um, done, they've got done recently haven't they through um uh, uh, through the way that they treat marketplace sellers um with that ruling that that basically found that they were taking using data taking, yeah using yeah. using using customer data um and then wasn't it creating products and, and deciding how to price, decided, yeah. decided how to price it based on what um, marketplace owners are creating their own products, yeah. and then giving them preferences in the in the listings. Which, I mean, if that doesn't smack of the the, the most worrying monopoly <laughs> that you've ever seen, is incredible. Yeah. I just the amount. I we know a few people, don't we, that um, uh, trade on Amazon, and the, well, we know we know trade. someone we know someone who you know he's the men probably love him, the women not so much because he's such a way. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you know we're not even to say the name you know who we're talking about. <laughs> he has been well he's basically been screwed over by um the ineptitude of their ability to follow their own rules 
And uh, if you imagine um, Amazon essentially has a roving algorithm that is all powerful, that no one understands within Amazon and no one can change within Amazon. And that makes changes, blocks things, adds things, removes things willy nilly, it seems. And once that happens, you're screwed. And you can speak to someone who is untrained, has a script that isn't relevant to what you're saying, and will seek to send you a, a templated email back. You can't, they'll message you back with a templated email. So when you're then saying none of this is relevant. Um, so at the moment I've written to them and I've, I've threatened that I've said, I, I would the podcast and they're like, no, <laughs> no, no, we're running podcast. <laughs> well, I've, I've basically said to them, look, you, you have a responsibility for this, um, for this tax bill. You may not agree with that, but, um, I'd escalate this to someone far superior than yourself because I will be going to every media outlet that has any interest in bringing down Amazon to tell them specific details about how you've been shipping everything via Poland and what the impact of that is on the carbon footprint of your company. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, waiting to hear back. I'm, I'm sure it's just going to be go sod off. We hate you. We don't give a crap. But, um, yeah, so, so my advice to people is never shop on Amazon or go on Amazon, search. If you do, never click on the ads. Look to see if they're ads, if they're sponsored links or not. Do not click on them because Amazon make money. Look at the, the organic results. And then once you find the product, look at that company off of Amazon. And the chances are it's cheaper than on Amazon because yeah, they don't have to sell. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Like the, the belief that Amazon is cheaper is just we were talking about this before we came to the podcast. But the idea that it's cheaper is wrong a lot of the time. Um, the, other thing my... annoys, the other thing <laughs> that annoys me about Amazon, actually, is Amazon Prime. Yeah, it really, I mean, they have some like good one or you know, one off. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a dumping ground for documentaries, isn't it? Like there's a lot of running documentaries <laughs> on there. Like this, like this, this, you know, you have like different levels of quality. And like the highest level of quality is like now entertainment, like because their stuff is like you know now, HBO, oh, now TV entertainment, oh, yeah, gotcha. like HBO and and like Sky Atlantic and all all that stuff. That's like real top quality. Yeah. And then there's another layer down which is Netflix, and of course they've got their own produced things. Again, not as not as big budget, but certainly like good quality. Yeah. Generally good quality. There's more that's good. There's a lot that's that's not great. Um, and then you've got Amazon prime and that really is basically the dustbin of everything else like you have a couple of things that they spent you know like you've got the grand tour and things like that which they spent 160 million on and really good stuff like like so maybe i should ask clarkson to pay for my polish tax bill maybe maybe he put he loved that he's really he's a man of the europeans but well he is he he was wasn't he 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 was a remainer was he yeah he was Exactly. I know. But what do you know about Clarkson? That's it. Um, but it, the, the rest of the stuff, if you've ever looked for and you can find conspiracy theories, you can find <laughs> films that you, with, like, you know, like your favorite actors, films that they were in, like in the 80s and stuff. And it is an absolute cesspit of, of rubbish. Like, I think the majority of like films and documentaries on there have like got one and a half stars. So it's it's like basically that. the equivalent of the, the VHS basket when you used to it go is. to Blockbuster. It is, but it, it then, has a few. It has a few headlights. Like, it, it basically, it's all about volume. It's this. It's so rubbish. I've watched so many rubbish documentaries about people, um, fat people losing weight, which I do like watching. I like watching those transformation stories. But so, they were like there was one that was made with a fucking did, like did, 
like with an iPhone. It was so bad. <laughs> it was so awful. Do like, they ever wow. have a twist that they've put on weight? That, <laughs> oh, no. And you're like, I didn't see that coming. coming. I watched this one, actually, that... Um, the, uh, because these, I, I don't know. They they must just like buy these in bulk from uh, from distributors. But there was this one where this guy was uh, he, he was a successful um, New York um, uh, property magnate, and he became president. No, he was, and he basically he decided to lose weight, and so he um, he decided to become fit, and he wanted to end up doing a a, um, a fitness competition. I can't remember what it, what what the thing was called, but he, he he went on this thing. He went he went and did CrossFit. He basically he he threw money at this because he had money to throw at it, but he needed to lose weight. And he lost a huge amount of weight. Um, uh, you know, he got fit and um, he, he he started looking kind of incredible. Um, but he had loads loads. I've never seen someone with so much excess skin. And he had to go through this operation where he literally had his whole body um, oh, had this okay. excess skin taken off it, and it. It was. It looked horrific. The thing that he went through, the the, the process he went through, because he was really big. And the, the culmination of this was he was going to a fitness competition. There were a lot of um, uh, uh, sort of caveats to this. It says that this wasn't like a traditional fitness competition where he's competing with other people who you know were traditionally. It was a fitness competition for people that are low, lost loads of weight. So. There was obviously a thing. And so by winning this competition, you went to Vegas or, or, or wherever it was for the world, you know, transformation thing. Yeah. And so he got up on stage and he did this and this was culmination and he worked so hard. And he was basically against a lot of people who, let's be honest, the transformation wasn't quite <laughs> Like, I, I think effort was being rewarded rather than results in this. And oh, so, right. I thought you yeah, meant they were starting from a lower base or, okay. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you're like, what? I don't really can't tell the difference between the before and after here. Are they wearing a different hat or something? I don't know. But he'd worked really, really hard. He'd, he'd like spent like a year doing this, getting all this surgery done. And then it came to the results as to who as what. He looked incredible compared with everyone else. It came to the results and the result was everyone's a winner. You're all going to Vegas. Does it, does that happen every year? <laughs> I don't know, but it was awful. It was like, I, you know, that's just reminded me um, of, of We Are The Champions because I have watched that now and I've got to say, it is incredible. I absolutely <laughs> love it. But it reminds me of the frog episode, the frog jumping one. <laughs> like, <he's> so, <laughs> they all try so hard that a kid comes along and just wins. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. There's nothing more humbling. I need to, I need to say, I need to say something about we are the champions though because I think you know the way that if you look at that uh, we are the champions so we are champions we're talking about um, the uh, cheese rolling um, frog jumping the oh, what are the other ones on there I can't dog dancing dog dancing which I think <laughs> the is, stereotype for the Russians I know just being, oh, just just so us. I've got to say that they are some of the most beautifully made documentaries I have ever seen. They are, I, it, there's something about the way that they're shot and um, Rain Wilson's narration and the way that they're scripted. They're just beautiful. And I found the, um, the, the cheese rolling one with, with Florence Early really, just like really, really inspirational. Really, so inspirational that I, I made Frida sit down and watch it. Did you, did you chuck Frida down the hill? <laughs> like, you go, Frida, run free. You said, you made that point when we were talking about it earlier. And you said, there's a, there's a particular shot they do which shows you just how steep it oh. is. And it's that shot from above that then pans back, doesn't it? And it, it just the, the way it's done, it's done, it's done with... 
it's done with sincerity. Yeah, it's done with respect. Yeah, it's done with respect. And I think any, like, you've seen documentary and stuff where people kind of take the piss, but it's done with proper respect. And, mm. and it genuinely, it, all of it, I think, I think I cried during one of them actually, because I thought it was really, just really good. The, the dog dancing one where, where they're talking about, I can't remember the name of the lady because yes, her problem is she dances too, too hard. hard. <laughs> too hard, yeah. <laughs> and she's the most lovely, joyful, wonderful person. Yeah, I love it. She just goes off dancing, forgetting about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> What I love is they go, yeah, the Russians have the Russians have basically cleaned up. You're like, because there's no one else. <laughs> yeah, and you you've you've got to think there'll be. I I, I assume there's going to be documentaries like that for the rest of our lives from now on because there are so many weird sports out there, and they all have their own little champions. And this is essentially the third, the third documentary series of the same vein of home game and yeah. losers and so there's going to get a lot of people watching them so i think they'll just seek them out and seek them out and it will carry on to i, I what about i i think beerathon could get on there <laughs> beerathon should be on there it's you could but I no one, you could see it no one competes though no one takes it seriously that's because you need that no one takes it seriously that's not true <laughs> But you you need you need your your Lendl against um, against Becker. You need your rivalry. That's the trouble. I don't know if they've got personalities big enough. And also, we're undermining it too much the whole way through. Um, I think it'd be difficult to. But they could do CFTB against his big rival at, at the Craft Half, or against you know one of those other races <laughs> where they're like, this guy chooses not to drink. This guy always drinks. That would be the narrative they go for. <laughs> Yeah, but I've got yeah. um, I've got a new running app that Ooh. I don't know, don't know how I feel about it, and I can't use it because yeah, I'm now. <laughs> so yeah, well, firstly, it's pretty useless, isn't it? I'm now one one year since I've properly run. One, I've run less than really? five miles in the last year. Thank you, NHS. Oh, but anyway, about anyway. my annual uh, annual <laughs> when fits. I'm in, I'm intrigued actually to see Strava every year slightly up the level of graphics that they use for your yearly stats with the, the hope that you then share them on Instagram, on Facebook. And, and so I'm just, I'm just interested to see <laughs> how they try and, yeah, how they try and spin my 4.5 miles, whatever it may be. Like what kind of breakdown they give it, how they make it look positive. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I've never shared a, a Strava yearly um demographic or you know graphic video but i'll i'll, I'll do that this year because i'm sure it's gonna be quite entertaining but the um there's a new app called running stories annoyingly at the moment it's only on ios so i can't i can't check it out in, in android and we've spoken in the past about interactive apps so you, you had like the zombie run where you put the headphones in and then zombies are coming behind you and chasing you and you have to speed up at different times. And they've, they've had fairly good reviews from people I know who've used them. This one, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but the way it presents itself, and I, I'm, I'm guessing it's Google Maps, 
that it actually is an interrupt interactive run where you'll start the story and it could be a spy story and you'll be running down the street and the app will be using your GPS detail to not only direct you, but also to pick out significant elements around you and use that in the story. And I, I love it because there's, there's, you know, when new technology happens and people do things for the sake of showing that it's new and different yeah. and, and, and impressive rather than good. So the ones there the, in, in the advert, and, and I, I quite like the idea of, of this app because any, anything different on a run is nice to have if you're running lots because yeah. Yeah. You don't, you're not going to use it all the time, but if you just really can't be bothered, save that for a rainy day when you don't want to run and then it's your motivation. You're like, okay, I'm going to try this. But the example is, it, the, the person starts off in this uh, courtyard. It's like you're you're in a courtyard, and you run along past the Italian restaurant where you last had dinner with blah 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 blah. And then it's like, but you turn right at the red bins that are left open, and it, it puts in all these minute details that have nothing to do with you'd any story you'd ever hear. But it would be the green car that is, in fact. It can't be a car. So it's like, it's it, like a Dan Brown novel then. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it is. Um, but I, I really want to try it now to see how accurate it is to your surroundings. I understand how it can do it with, with place names. And what I like about this is it, it, hopefully if it gets really good, it could actually tell you a story that would match a distance run. And you put the distance in and it then – because I'm thinking maybe three steps ahead where say that say one th to do with a bank heist, they must be able to use Google Maps to know where the local cash machines are and to run you via the, uh, via the area to that cash point, for example, yeah. and say this is the cash point and then link in other things so that actually sounds like a story that could happen in the local area um, and set a route for you based on that and so therefore you go out and each story is a different running route for you um but at the moment it's just throwing in all these extra bits of uh, these these descriptions that make no difference to your run or to the story which i partly love i partly think this is just completely pointless so do bad is try it out it's called running stories app if you need ios at the moment but let us know what you think of it email us um letters at badboyrunning.com but are there any other apps out there running apps that you've tried like this the interactive ones where they bring to life your surroundings a little bit and and are there any good ones and are there any absolutely garbage ones because i want to hear about the garbage ones as much as i do about the good ones oh yeah i want to I test out some rubbish ones because i think that that would be that would be quite good well if bbr had an app um what 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 would that what would that entail do you think i think it's it just something very similar to the stories you just like you go you walk to your trainers weep weep at your trainers <laughs> sit sit and have a chocolate bar that you tell yourself if you're fueling for your run um but then you realize you've got to you've got to turn the heating off before you go out you sit down and you might as well check the news before you go out to keep yourself and you fall asleep on the couch repeat
I just I think I think one based on some of the stings that we did before um, and you can choose it. What you actually it's like it's like running roulette. Okay, you go for a run and you don't know what you're going to get. You may get um, David being really you know, highly motivational. You've got this. You can do it. You know, you're running and you did it. Or there could be one where it's existential dread. When it's, <laughs> you know, that sting that you did where you're like, it's just you on your own. You lose why are you bothering? <laughs> you may as well just sit down now. The next yeah. one that passes you by, they're better than you. They're faster <laughs> than you. They've more friends than you. <laughs> Look I at them. That would be, I think that would be a they good They hate you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially to gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe one in four. One in four, yeah. so yeah. One in four, that's it. Are you running your own I like that. I have to take your chances as to, as to, what, as to what you get. Yeah, that's uh, a great idea. And um, before we go on to our, our episode, while it's still coming up to Christmas, what have you? What do you think about the pokes? Oh, do you know what? I oh, are we talking about language here now? Unless there's something else around the pokes that um, two things about this. I didn't realise that "Fairy Tale of New York" wasn't a big song in America. Sweetheart often he he loves it now, but he hadn't really heard of it until he came over here. And really, yeah, and and there's there's not many things in a culture, I say particularly music that you'd hear as much as the pokes, because you might have a big song that hits in one country and not another. But then often songs disappear really, other than wedding dances where suddenly everyone's playing the killers or bon jovi or whatever it may be or wham um but firstly it's not that big but if you don't know this song and you're and you're listening it's christmas get it it's i'd say the best christmas song of all time i i, I would say it's the best christmas song of all time as well fairly town new york it's got i was just about to say it's got amazing lyrics it, it has mostly amazing lyrics um, except but, for when they're banned. Except um, for when they're banned. It, it, does, it seems to be a different Christmas song every year. Baby, it's cold outside. Seems to be the one that's banned normally. And now we've come back to Fairy Tale of New York. It, the, the, right, so the thing about Fairy Tale New York, which is which is confusing, is that if you if you haven't listened to it, probably, <laughs> you, you, you'll hear it and you'll think, "Fucking hell, that's a bit offensive." But it, it's supposed to be a conversation. It's one of those ones where they're kind of in character and they're supposed to be, it's, a, it's a conversation between an alcoholic and, yeah. and a drug addict, isn't it? it, it and it's who, who are in a relationship and it, it, it's gone to pieces. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those weird tragedy, bittersweet. Yeah. That's what makes it brilliant in many ways, because it's not a you wouldn't necessarily say that is the basis for a great Christmas song. But it is. Um, it just has some problematic language in it. Yeah, and that when they when I first heard on the radio that they'd banned parts of the song. Well, just Radio One, Radio One, Radio banned One. It. Yeah, I I um I couldn't think. I was I was struggling to. It's it's interesting your relationship with lyrics and songs because yeah. I I was obsessed with music and a lot of songs I know lyrics for. A lot of the ones I just kind of sing along without knowing the lyrics. And when I went through the song in my head, I thought. Oh wow! I, I've been singing that part with too much gusto in the past, and also you think, <laughs> and also you think, wow, yeah, I, I never. The, the worst thing is when you when you don't know most of the lyrics to a song, 
when you know a line of a song, you sing it louder, don't you? you and do. that is the and line that it does stand out. It does stand out because yeah. it rhymes. It's got it's punchy, and um, and yeah, I think it, and it, I suddenly had remorse of like, wow, actually, yeah, that is, and and it, and as you as you say, it is interesting in that it it, it is them singing. They're characters. They're characters they're, yeah. saying it, and they're doing it in character. But but this, sorry, this I I really struggle with this because my initial thought is fucking don't ban anything. Like mm. th- that's my initial thought. And to be fair, Radio Two and um, other things, it's not banned. It's down to the discretion of whether wh- the people want to play it. So it's not as if we're getting upset. Yeah, people are getting upset because it's a blanket ban or anything else like that. But it has. Yeah, it, it has some words that which are offensive in it, but that's in keeping with the with the character. But then I do then think, well, because you know, if, if we take something like from an art perspective, yeah, from an art mm. perspective, um, if someone is in character and they're trying to do a, a portrayal of something, then using offensive language, even if it is offensive, you know, they, that, that should be something that they can do. But it relies on the audience knowing that they're in character yeah, and that's not yeah. what they really think. And so that's the difficulty comes about is the fact that the majority of people who listen to that probably don't know that. And, and particularly on Radio 1, which is our, our youngest. And that's the thing. Yeah. And the other thing is, because I keep thinking, right, so if I was in that character and I was doing it, would I say that word? I'm like, I, d- I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that word because I know it's offensive. Um, and then I think my kids listen to Radio 1 and they're five and nine. And do I want them hearing saying that, that word yeah and saying that word and i don't and so it, yeah. I just it's one of those things where i i, I just i i I'm, I'm totally torn i'm like it's it, that word should not be said and it but it shouldn't be banned like but how do you how do you police the use of that word in those different things and so the more i think about it, the more i think it's actually it kind of seems like quite a nuanced and right way to do it. Like the people yeah. on Radio 2 are an older audience, would understand it. People on Radio 1, probably not. And you know, they were, I think it was a... Uh, and the fact that they they haven't banned the song completely, but they're using lyrics that they used, I think, when they did a recording for Top of the Pops. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. Yeah, it, was, it was for something. It was... Um, they re-recorded it for mainstream TV. So they must have thought that at the time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so, and that's yeah, and that's when Kirsty McCall was was alive. So they must have thought that at the time. So that that goes back, back a while. So it actually, it, I've, I've gone in circles around. It, it make it it makes a lot of sense. And I I don't want my children hearing that. Why would I want my children hearing that? And I can understand why why people would want it banned. Um, and would you want? Can you? How would I guess the question is? How would you feel if you turned up at a school? And you found there was a gay person and people were shouting this at that person. You exactly. would not, you would not be comfortable with that. Um, no, but no. what I love about this, there's going to be a lot of listeners who have no idea what the word is. <laughs> exactly, because we won't say it. That's the I thing. I'm not even sure if it. I know we're gonna, you're going to go and search it and we're going to introduce you to a word that you may not have even been thinking about. I, I don't know if that's a primarily British word. I don't know if it's an international. No, I think, um, it's, I think it's, uh, uh, Americans use it. Um, okay okay as well yeah absolutely but um yeah there we go well from international conversations to international race teams well this is a this seems like a long a a big jump to go from that conversation to this one (laughs) doesn't it (laughs) 
but you're going to love this interview because it's an amazing story, an amazing documentary maker. So, Nick, take it away. So, uh, so do batters. This next, this next interview is one that actually, when I first heard about the film, I was quite surprised, not only by the content, but because I had a completely miss. My understanding of what this team was was based on all of the Russians who basically were saying they hadn't doped and they were still trying to get in the Olympics. And then I found out about the actual <laughs> reality of this film, and it was everything good without being everything bad. So I thought we've got to get we've got to get Rich on to talk about this. So welcome on the podcast, documentary maker Richard Bullock. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Would, right. would you say well, is that an obstacle? Is that an obstacle you faced with um, with people's perceptions? That the film would be of ne- really negative in any way, or that it was more that I, before before this project, the refugee team, in my understanding, before that existed, mm. my my only knowledge of a, a united team seemed to be all the people from drug cheating nations coming together to try and represent yeah. not their country. And so have you, <laughs> do people often mistake the two or? Well, the, there is, it's quite an interesting history, but the main mistake is like in 2016, and I didn't know this, but in 2016, the first of these, the first time refugees appeared was at Rio. And those that idea, so they're called the Olympic Refugee Team. And the team I found and was working with is called the Athlete Refugee Team. Now, they, because they're just, they're just doing uh, track events, right, just, just running and middle distance, you know, 400 to, no, they're no sprinters, so it's 400 to middle distance and, and maybe they're a bit young for marathon and that kind of thing, so, you know, 400 to half marathon type people, lots of cross country, that kind of stuff you get in East Africa. So they brought the idea, the woman that did it is Tegla Larupe, and she's pretty famous in London and New York. You know, she, she won the London Marathon, I think, once or twice. New York, mm. she won. You know, and she was also one of the first Kenyan women, or actually, maybe one of the first sort of females that brought, you know, running for women in Kenya because prior to her, it was pretty much just the men. That was, mm. you know, kind of cultural that the women don't do it. She was a real fighter and a real, you know, independent thinker. So it was her concept after her career had ended, just that one of those kinds of people. And uh, She's involved with all kinds of the Olympic Committee and all She's involved in all sorts of stuff, lots of development work in Kenya, Ethiopia, that kind of stuff. So she found she had come across it when she was a child growing up in the western part of Kenya over her lifetime watching all the refugees come over the border. So it was her idea. She'd done a previously she'd done a concept around cattle rustlers and criminals in Kenya and got them running and got a couple of guys into marathons. And so she took the same similar idea. I'm going to take these young, I'm going to go out to the refugee camps and do these kind of discover these mystery talent, you know, these these people in the camps. And that's what she did. So she went out, found these people and did, like you see in the film, scratched a line in the sand and said, run. And then people just 
bare feet started running and then she would say, oh, that one looks pretty good. And they'd never worn shoes. They'd never seen a track. And uh, eight months later, five of them went to the Olympics in Rio and walked into the stadium. So, um, that before was the we, <laughs> Before we go into that, like, how did you then get involved in this project? So I met her just after they got back from Rio and she then the idea had been so successful there and then I had my background is in um, I did a lot of like I worked a lot of years in Amsterdam with Adidas actually not with Adidas but Adidas was one of my main clients so I was a creative director for an agency that did a lot of I worked with Lots of football, lots of World Cups, lots of Olympics. So I worked a lot in sport. I mean, 95% of my job was working with them over about eight years. Yeah. So I knew a lot about it. And then I'd started getting into making films, sports films and that kind of thing through Adidas, actually, and making expanded longer and longer content, essentially making documentaries, the rise of the internet. You could get bigger and bigger things out. So I come from an advertising background, and then I kind of expanded through that just the way that the industry and everything, the world changed. So I cut loose from advertising in about 2009. And then I had little contacts and suggestions, you know, contacts. I was on the way to Switzerland to do a commercial project, film a commercial thing with like, uh, actually with Sergio Garcia. I was going there to do that job uh, for a watch cup for Omega in Switzerland. And, Another friend of mine had gone to work with the sponsor of this team, On. So On is a, was, was then on, is a small running shoe company uh, out of Switzerland at that time. Pretty bigger now, but this was their first sponsorship. And he said, we were friends. He was head of their marketing. He was like, would you drop into Kenya on your way through? We haven't got any money. We're not, you know, like... It's our first sponsorship. We're just going to – can you go in there and make a little film for us? I know that you love these sorts of stories, and I've had a background in – and I was like a sucker for it. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I can go there for three days. And as soon as I got to the camp, I was like, this is the best story I've ever heard. And I didn't really know that much about it. So I made them a little, like, three-minute film about their connection and then about i kept thinking about it and thinking about it and that was in 2017 and then i made a production a partnership with my production company with on and with tegler's charity and we made a sort of a deal to because i because they're connected with the un and the U, the refugees are, are sort of citizens of the un access to them is very difficult you know it's uh they, they, they can't actually afford their rights to material in the way you and I can. It's part of the difficulties of being stateless. You, they, they don't even have a way of representing themselves in that world, you know. So I needed the UN through Tegla and through the sponsorship team in order to get access. And then they were all partners in – and so we made the film all together to – I took the plan to them in Zurich and said, and so, this is what I want to do. And then they were like, yeah, let's, let's see how it goes. So with, with the – because you mentioned the UN there. So 
when Tekla was first had this idea, is is that how they were able? Because you know, part of me would quite like to run in the Olympics myself. Obviously, lacking my talent, but the, one of the big obstacles is we have to follow the the typical route of being either fast enough or a representative of our country. So, how did they go about getting these refugees into the Olympics and getting approval for that? They went to. They took it to um, Sebastian Coe, who a uh, Lord Coe, who yeah. we met and interviewed. He's in part in, in the film, and he liked the idea of it. And I think the Olympics saw it in. Sometimes they do things that isn't. A, I think is not about specifically the the qualifying time. Yeah, like if you're a young Australian or a young Englishman, you yeah. want to run an 800, you've got to run like a 145 or something. Yeah. Or, you yeah. know, there's some time that's really tough. And I think they decided that the first time they would do this, that it was a real symbolic gesture. And I think that's what was kind of – so I think they let go of the qualifying times – in order to let people compete. I mean, occasionally you've seen it in Olympics, like uh, Eddie the Eagle or yeah. uh, uh, Eric the Eel, the, the, the swimmer. I think the first Afghani female as well, first Afghani female sprinter um, yeah. was, you know, as you'd expect, not as competitive as, as the other countries, but was just a lovely moment. I think that's what they decide to do. I think there's certain exceptions to the rule, and I think they thought... This would be, this was an occasion where they would do it. And that original time that they did it, all of the runners, bar one, came from Tegla's training camp. There was another guy from Brazil. And one of her runners actually got offered the spot and stepped down to let this guy from Brazil go. Wow. He thought, he thought it was better that wasn't just all, he did that himself. And it, that he is was. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's in the film. He's one of the guys that runs away in um, Switzerland. He ran away with one of the other chaps. So he is an amazing guy. He was also with Tegler. He was like athlete number one. That's so really interesting. Actually, they, yeah. But th th those two facts almost don't marry up because you'd you'd almost assume if his intention was to to use this as an opportunity to escape, that he'd be more um, concerned with ensuring he goes the first time rather than... Yeah, this, it's full of contradictions, this, like, or the behaviour of people and how they act and, and particularly the, the, the events of the... Maybe if people ha haven't seen the film, maybe I'll tell you, like, basically the essence of the story. Maybe you're... We do want them to watch it, but... The, oh, the they will. Is, they will. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the essence is like these, yeah, the athletes get together and I think there's an outside-in approach. We, from the outside, like when I say we, I mean our philosophy of the Olympics and our ideas of the Olympics, you know, probably you, we on this call share that. We grow up mm. probably watching Ovette, Co. you know, these... And I'm watching Kathy Freeman and mm. Rob D. Costello and these sorts of people. And you're like, 
oh, the Olympics, that would be the greatest achievement of my life, you know, if I could go to the Olympics and to win a gold medal, even, you know, now, win, win, win. And so when we take that and you put it on to these people who come from really serious, long-running civil war trauma mm. in South Sudan, you know, these are people who at age six and seven taken out the back of their house, hearing bullets, mortars, tanks, whatever in the distance. Their mum points east and says, you start running, and I'm never going to see you again. And that's what they did. And from that point, they're, they're alone. But they've, they've never, and most of them have never seen their parents again. A lot, some of them have been able to reconnect, but a lot of them, they're just still alone. So you put this thing of, hey, do you want to go to the Olympics? That person is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what's the Olympics? <laughs> this, but, and then we must be like, oh, but don't you get how great that is? Uh, where's Rio? Is it in yeah. Nairobi? And one of the girls in the film tells me, I thought Rio was somewhere in Nairobi. They had, they'd never seen a track. They'd never seen running spikes. They never, you know, like the, the gap for these people, they come from planet war and we are taking them and putting them in this situation. So we, that's what I learned a lot during the filming. Like as the years went by, I was like, hang on. I don't think anyone asked these, nobody asked these guys. I mean, obviously now they have a lot more, a lot more understanding and they've been exposed to it. And that the fact that you, you know, you, you can't, be it until you see it, those kind of rules, you know, are great because you throw these people out onto the track or you put them into these environments, they get used to it, they hang around, they meet Justin Gatlin, they meet, they meet all these fantastic Jamaicans, they're really friendly with them, they start to absorb and become professional, they understand training, but they're doing it from like age 17 or 18 to age 23, 24 in a compressed amount of time. So even if they have phenomenal, you guys know running, if they have phenomenal talent, they're mm. against a Kenyan who started at five or six, has run their whole life, you know, with elite probably training, coaching, running at altitude, mm. all these benefits, probably picked up for contracts when they were 17, 18. They are running against that elite level. So to see them, then on top of that, they have to go out, handle media because they become big figureheads there's a lot of pressure on them as well so the ones that not it's a feel-good story but it's complicated by the human factor their history and their ability to deal with that new world that's thrust upon them well i think it's and hard to not it's hard to not give this narrative of of how great we are for helping these people you know, yes. escape or and like which that that's the story we want to believe, but it it might not be true. Exactly, and like I didn't do the I didn't cut the film. I deliberately didn't do it to. I don't know how you felt while you're watching it, but I wanted the first Runaways to feel like a surprise for the audience. Mm. I wanted to go what what what. He just ran on the track with Mo Farah. The guy was on the track in the 10,000 in <laughs> London with Mo Farah. And then that night he left. 
what? That's not right. He's wrong. You know, so you, you, you assume your, you know, authority on it, that situation. But then as you go on, hopefully in the film, you realize, are they wrong for trying to run away? Is that wrong of them? They see, you know, they're refugees. The job of a refugee is to find refuge. And if you're not feeling it, like if you're still, and I can understand it because Nairobi does not feel that far from the trouble. Like if you were a child and at six you had that significant trauma, mm. if you saw Denmark on a, on a you were on a, in Oslo or somewhere, you'd be like, this seems far enough away. <laughs> I, I feel sick. Yeah. I might, I might very well slip away. You can't I mean, blame I, I, them. I know? definitely would, without a doubt, because especially as you say, they. It is slightly different when you don't have a family, and so your roots yeah. aren't as cemented in an area, and you're living in an area that is always touted as being a temporary area. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and so but having said we, that, the women, you know, none of the women run away. None of the female athletes ever decide. You know, it's interesting with that context because then you 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 instantly realise if you're a woman and you run away in the back streets of Berlin or something, is that that's not safe? But if you're mm. a man, so there's there's different and and there's different things different people want to achieve. Some of the runners really want to like Dominic who's the guy in Switzerland he's actually really high level now you know he's got I think he holds the 3000 meter indoor for Switzerland I think he did a half marathon the other day did an hour and three for half I mean he's quick and he's really talented and he he could qualify for Switzerland if he got um you know that's that's he's the first of that really really high quality guy that's and, and do you think he has a you, is there a sense of him wanting to be if he has the choice between representing switzerland and the refugee team is there a sense of identity now amongst the refugee team where you'd you think he'd feel that he'd rather stay represented and, and representing them than to, to switch to a country which could probably give him a higher profile and a better life by running for Switzerland. I think he would rather run for the refugee team. I mean, that was the thing that I found extraordinary. Like he, he was, we, I found him, you know, by, we, we really lucky to find them. I didn't think I'd ever find the runner, the, the athletes that had, that had gone. We found mm. them through different ways and, and, you know, we drove up to these mountains because they actually, like in Australia, we put our refugees on little islands off the coast <laughs> or, you know, like in Kenya, they're on the border way far. In Switzerland, they're up high in the mountains. So they were, these Sudanese and Ethiopians and all this were up in these, these places high, high in the Swiss Alps. So you drive up there and these guys come walking out. It's like <laughs> bizarre, you know, and then, he came out with the RTF, his, the other guy that had run away together. And Dominic, he sat down and we got cold and he reached into his bag and pulled out his refugee jacket, his official team jacket. And I said, isn't that your past? And he goes, no, it's my future. And I was like, that was another one of those things where they kind of flipped on me. Like I never knew which way their heads were like to really 
not judge at any point because they would often have surprising, you know, viewpoints. And he saw it and both of them saw it that couldn't we relax the rules? Why did I have to be in Kenya? Could I be a refugee in Switzerland and represent? And that was the dilemma for them. They would love to run for the refugee team, but through it's like these problems of politics and mm. administration that occur when people try and do the right thing, you know, and it's, it's actually no one's, I don't think Tegler's not, I mean, the whole reason all these people have got a stage is because of Tegler mm. and the, and the camp. So I don't, it's not, she's done amazing things. Um, and and with this, not very much. Did, when people left, what kind of pressure did that exert on the program and on Tegla and on sponsors and on funding? Because it's, yeah. it, it goes against the news story that we want, to, that not that a lot of the West would want to hear. Yeah, a lot of pressure. It's a, a, and a lot of pressure and sadness on the athletes that are left behind. You know, like it really, it, it's demoralizing. So much so they didn't really talk about it for for a few months. The first few times I, because I would come in and out over different periods over three years. And the first time I asked them, they just shut me down. They wouldn't talk about it. And then as it went by, got later and later, they felt okay to talk about it. Once they'd, I, I guess they'd felt like they'd stemmed the tide. But even when I directly asked the UN, like what I loved about the project was nobody told me ever said you can't ask that or we're going to hide this or nobody mm. ever said that. Even the sponsor, the UN. Which is unexpected. Well, we made a deal that they were going to let me make the film mm. no matter what and they stuck by it and they didn't alter the edit and they didn't and they've supported the film amazingly. Like distribution, all that sort of thing. They found it places to air on TV and on, on all over the world. And like, they've been amazing partner. They never asked me to change things that make them look one way or the other. So, so, so I, what, I think what, ultimately, if you know the whole truth, it's mm. better because when you know the whole truth, that complexity of humanity is so much more than, yeah, this is a feel good thing and everyone cheers and everyone claps. The story is so much more amazing when you know, when you find out about the details, you know, within each person. And and also it's it's a more an important story because actually, what's yeah. what what's more important for people to realise that wow, uh, we can through the power of sport, people can like come together, or is it more important that people realise? refugees are a serious problem that the world needs to take yeah. ownership of and address um but let's 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 go through that journey then of how individuals change but also um because what i found really interesting is it, it's it's all wrapped up with as a podcast we have an experience with running and it it means something quite different to a lot of us whether that's fitness for people it's status for people it's you know, um, headspace, and Mental. yeah, 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 and and obviously, from as you said, the, they they first signed up to the line and were just told to run. From the people that you saw when they first ran, where they didn't know this is so you can go to this amazing thing called the Olympics, like 
did you get a sense then of, of what was motivating people? And did you also, did you, have you seen the people that have developed into good runners, what it was in them then that turned them into good runners? Like, cause you've, you've got almost a unique insight into talent versus mentality, like physical mm-hmm. talent versus mentality as well. So on, on that first starting line, like tell us about what people were going through and what motivated them at that stage yeah i think i think people like one real important part of the story was getting to kakuma kakuma is the big it's two hundred thousand strong in northwest the other some of the athletes come from dadab as well so kenya actually has two giant refugee camps both of like 300,000 and 200,000 people. So they, they are one of the big intake. We think of Europe as the big uh, <laughs> balancing scale of refugees, but Kenya's first port of call, you know. Well, and, most people have read about that once, if ever, and yeah. forgotten about it. I certainly have forgotten about it. Um, it's, yeah, half a million. And they, and they do that. And, and I think if you're in Kikuma, it's, you're not, it's not a life. I mean, it's it's the UN are doing their best they can in that tough situation, but you're not. It's not a whole life. And if somebody comes out there and says, "Hey, you've got a bit of talent. You can come to this place, and we're going to train you. And in the gaps, we're going to give you education too." Now, this is something I didn't include in the film. Um, it was a whole other path, but mm. education is a big thing for them, and it's not unusual because it's a lot why a lot of people choose going to college in america or you know Mm. to train because if you if you say to an athlete you can do you know you can't train all day but you can have this education side and you can have a running side and we'll see what and and tegler's group isn't just about purely olympics it's also building people so they don't want to just leave them out to dry and isn't that interesting attractive thing if you think about collegiate sport in america how it's the reverse how no you have to pass your exams no you have to study to do sport it's like you get to you've got to run for it still come on i know you want to educate but you've got to run for it so but but amongst that two hundred thousand, then is is there almost a pre-selection for the selection it's pretty it's it's very loose and what they do is every they've done it over a period of time she has a group of coaches I mean, they've blended now. They they've changed their their strategies and techniques as they've gone along. Because I was there probably when they were about three months into having a permanent camp, maybe a bit longer. After so prior to Rio, they didn't really do it, and that maybe that's why I was quite interested. Was because this was the period of time where they set an agenda. Okay, we've been symbolic, but now we're going to be do this seriously. And they put that onto the athletes that were there. In terms of selection to get into the camp, it's your your you're scouted much like a young footballer is, or someone goes and watches you and conducts some, some tests and timings. But it's fairly it, it's down a lot to the observations of Kenyan coaches and Tegler and her, you know, five or six advisors and people that work regionally in sport. And they might say, 
Uh, you know, like I saw, I saw phone video of a guy in a dry riverbed throwing this ancient javelin, and and videoing himself and sending it to coaches. <laughs> like, you know, like trying to get himself noticed. Yeah, it's wonderful. The footage is incredible of this. It just, it's just amazing. It's like a movie, you know, in one little video, this guy hurled this javelin. But they, they go out and much like you see in the film, this, you know, raggedy group of kids come out, you make a line and you see who comes first at the other end. And then they look at the way their physicality. I mean, there was a lot of stuff watching Tegler and the Kenyan coaches where they just look at people. Mm. It's, it's not a science. It's not down to stopwatches. They kind of just look at the way people move. We can see people's balance and you can see absolutely like if they're flowing through or, you know, their, their leg turnover, things like that. But how would, even within that, how do you determine the distance? Because someone who's, who could be good at 400 could present themselves very differently than someone who's good at 5,000, especially when you take into account that that person who could be good at 5,000, they might not know they're good at 5,000 and they might be sprinting a hundred meters. Exactly. I mean, that happened a lot where people would come down for one distance and then as time went by, they would change. I think at the refugee camps, I mean, in perspective, the refugee camps are an air, uh, a flight away by plane or, or I think it was like 20, 20 hours by bus. I mean, it's that far away between there and the central training camp in Nairobi or in Gong. In Gong Hills are the sort of elevated area of Nairobi where if you're, if you're, if you're not in Iten, then you're here, you know, like was, a, as a Kenyan. Was that intentional for them to, an intentional decision to have it so far away? I think, I'm not sure why she, her, her Peace Foundation or her charity is just down the road. I think maybe it was for her to have them there. Niyayo mm. Stadium, which is the national stadium, you know, the proper where the, a lot of AK uh, Athletics Kenya have their meets um, is there. So there's that professional track they can go and, and get experience on. And then she had this facility like a small, it's like an old school that they've converted. They've now got a really nice gym. I mean, the gym is so nice that I think a lot of the local Kenyans are like knocking on the door, like, can we come and, you know, they've got a nice facility. And the, the, when we launched the film, actually, it was done as a fundraising thing um, through ON, and they raised enough money to build uh, a training track right next to the accommodation in Ngong. So they've now got a track to train on as well right there. So they have a – it's not going to be – I don't know if you've seen the footage of it, but, you know, these tracks are these sort of compressed red dirt tracks mm, in yeah. Kenya, and they train on those rather than – I think Iten until recently was still red dirt. And now I mm. think they've, I, I'm not sure, but I think it's now synthetic. But the track they were, that, that, that I shot at a lot was called the Vapor Track. And this was this kind of famous track up high on the mountain. And I was hanging out there and then you'd go, I could go and sit there. And I'm, I'm not really knowledgeable, but I could see like there's Helen O'Beary, you know, world champion, Oh, I saw her win the cross country in Denmark last. <laughs> That's the same girl. So I, I knew that they were the, they were good people, and the army also trained up there as well. So what she'd done also was she was blending the refugees. So for a while they trained independently, 
she'd started to let them rub shoulders with like Helena Beery and a lot of really good guys. And they they went on big, they did these big, uh, I filmed them doing these uh, fartlek runs through the mountains, like 15 kilometres, but they would hammer for like, you know, up these windy red dirt roads. And they were, I don't know, maybe 200 metre like sprints, hard out <laughs> on a 15k run. And then they'd come down, you know, and the coach would shout from the back of the truck and we sit in the back of the truck. <laughs> and they were like banging on our car, banging on the back, angry because we weren't going fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> big, big, you know, 30, 40 strong Kenyans and refugee runners running at that, that, that pace on, you know, really impressive. And, and so, so now that they've, they've set up the camp um, and they're actually, it changes the perceived value. Um, even without traveling abroad of, of being on this camp, like has that caused problems within the refugee community or for those involved like politically? And has it also changed how people are seeing running within the refugee camps? Yeah, because they put, I mean, the, the, the here's another fantastic moment where you, where I say we, I mean, Western type eyes on the situation. When Rio was on, they put big screens up in the camps and showed everybody the athletes walking in the stadium under the refugee thing. And they thought this would be a great idea. But immediately, what it leads to is fam, cousins and family members going, I saw you on TV. You must have money. So Politically, it, it hurts them because whatever they have, they are indebted. They, their culture, the culture that I was observed was that mm. they really big time. What's mine is yours. It, you know, you would, you would, say, and this often happened with a sponsor. Like you would give an athlete a bunch of uh, of shoes and stuff, and see it on all the cousins the next day. You know, or like th these things that it, we we as, even as behaving as a sponsored athlete, mm. a young English kid would know from his experience in his culture. Oh, I wear the shoes, and you take photos of me, and therefore that's how this deal works. Yeah. They, they might not. They would not. They would not even know that. You know, like I mean, that, it doesn't really make sense. If you've got five pair of trainers, it doesn't make sense exactly. to be wearing one and have four in a box <laughs> while your cousins have got crappy shoe. no I mean, shoes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So those sorts of things, that's what was wonderful. I felt what was wonderful about the guys that are on. They're very unusual, very well, unusual is not the right word. Very new, different kind of athletics company. I've worked with Asics. I've worked with Adidas. I've worked with the big guys before. I know that experience of business. And with, with these guys, they learned from it. They would go, okay, I see. This is different. You know, this is a different situation, which suited them really well because they didn't want to go after Mo Farah or that, that's not this. They want to do things. They make different they just do things differently. So this team suited them, you know, and they, the culture of that business, I guess. So I found that quite interesting. I mean, so they would learn from those experiences. But you could see how there was pressure on those. The athletes would get this pressure from back home 
and that would weigh on their decisions a lot, you know, and then you knew that with the guys that I saw some of the first, you know, Dominic, the Swiss, the guy that went to Switzerland, Dominic Locanyomo, you know, he got, he ran in a race because the coach saw that he was really, so um, the coach saw that he was talented. He took him to an event. Switzerland has amazing road racing sort of scene. Mm. And he came, I don't think he won, he came second or third or something on his first race. And they gave him an envelope of money. And he was really like, what? He didn't, what's this? He didn't really clock yet, you know, like that this was for him. That mm. he won a race and there was money. I mean, they're not, they're not, they understand and learn about the world fast. But they had come from like zero. They weren't, they weren't given money when they ran well in races. They, mm. That's not how it worked, you know. So he had sort and of come to terms with that. But the amount how of did money that in that envelope his... would change his whole family's life for that year. You know, a thousand euro was it's like a year's income or something. Yeah. I mean, and and do you whole think family. do you think that has then if you if did that change his motivation? Do you think, and did that change how he saw racing? I think it's a bit. It's also like I was saying about the 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 difference between the men and the women. The men, like well, like we do, they think they want to earn. They want to mm. earn for their family. That's their role. So, if he sees a way, like mm. this is what I think is that none, nobody was premeditated in their decisions to exit the team i think it was really difficult but in a lot of cases it was spontaneous and they didn't know they they were running away just as they ran away when they were younger like it mm. you don't think you don't have a whole lot of thought it, it's not a it's not like a contemplated sinister plan they mm. actually were often in an airport and they would decide like that like in half an hour they go let's do it it wasn't a long-term thing. They might have had a building idea, but I'd never got from them that like, and it was always difficult. And none of them were, they were, they were still, uh, you know, hurt by having, in a way that that having to make that decision. I think was difficult. They'd rather not make that decision. Mm. But for a number of them, for the guys that have run away, I think you know it's been good for them. Like it, they've done well. And that's their choice, their path. And Dominic's, mm. the money is one thing, but he loves running. It's interesting. He loves it, and they all do. None of them do it because they're told to. They, that, that, like you were asking before about who survives, the ones that have lasted are the ones that love it the most. That's, that was my, I don't know if I'm right, but that's my impression. And, they and just now that. Live without it. But now, what, what is the. What is the I guess the messaging to to new members and what is the expectation because people have left and you know they mm. may be to perceived to have thrived because of it you're not really sure how everyone else perceives it so how does the program then maintain its almost integrity as a program without also um, without that risk of people leaving and also part of it is is maybe 
you might want them to to branch out and to to grow and to to find their think, own way. Yeah, I think that that it's it's a grow. The idea is growing and changing, and I think as long as they they learn from those things, like even the management back at in at Tegler's camp and the athlete refugee team, and and you know people like like the head of the UN in Kenya and Sebastian Coe, I asked them all this question and they were like, they were more like, look, we're dealing, it was very mature actually. Like they were like, we're dealing with refugees. We've decided to go in and help. So we have to learn from them as much as they learn from us. And if, if they are making these moves, then we must open path. If we want to maintain the integrity of the thing, we must open pathways so it's not done in a way that endangers the athletes where they're taking some, because this could be risky if they run off in the middle of the night, mm. you know, so you don't know what they're getting involved with, this kind of thing. So they've op- they, they want to open pathways for them to move on, and they actually have. And there was a guy, Per Biel, who was a big star in Rio, and he's gone on to an American college. Through Tegler's guidance, they've let him go, onto America. And the fact that he went like two months before COVID, I mean, <laughs> terrible, terrible timing for Per, but he's gone on to study and he'll make his way that way. I mean, this is a guy who's given TED Talks and, mm. you know, an amazing human being, but that's considered the right way forward. Yeah. What the other guys did is considered, I mean, you know, it's considered the wrong way. I mean, now, it- by the, by the organisation. There's just there's a, there's a couple of things I just want to ask you about here, and sort of forgive my ignorance if if these seem very simplistic. But the, so the first thing is, just in terms of the the this, the idea of a of a refugee team, because we talked about identity identity and the fact that they you know wanted to stay in the team and wanted to self identify with with being in that team. But isn't the issue that they? You know, people in in refugee camps. They, it, it, although it, you know, it's supposedly a temporary status before they eventually, you know, go go back to the country where they where they originally identified from. Isn't it? Isn't it a weird element of of self identification? Isn't it a real struggle? Because ultimately, as a refugee, you do want to settle somewhere, and you do want to, yeah, you know, become a a, 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 mm. a full citizen with full rights, mm. but. You also have that element of that you know, sort of solidarity with that. How 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 do they cope with that? How how is that a kind of a, an ongoing struggle for for that? Because, I, I, you know, I, yeah, I don't think it's a naive question. I think it's a really good question because the, mm. the, there's an attraction to remain a refugee. Because if you remain a refugee now, the flip side of it is that you may well get to go to an Olympics. So actually, it's a disincentive. <laughs> that's a word. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. To not seek permanent well, settlement because South- you're like, you want to maintain your status so that you can be, you know, if your team, if that team was called Cyprus, you would stay being Cypriot. You know, like, you're, mm. you, it's, a, it's a refugee. They're, they're, they're kind of like a country. They're representing this stateless country. It's a flip. But, yeah, they would actually be resistant to moving on. I mean, the idea, none of them are going, I mean, zero are going back to South Sudan. I and mean, that, was, that was 90% or Ethiopia now has got into more trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I nobody I met ever had the intention of going back. I mean, in, in some 
in some world where it all got great, I don't know how, but I don't, I don't think anyone's going back. So they're all seeking to go forward. And did you get that? That's a sense of the whole the whole area that like the the whole refugee camp has that that view that they'd rather not return, or just the the athletes involved in this program. Um, I would say that's you know you don't go through all that, and then if if this instability and violence mm. still behind you, you're not going back into it. And I mean, despite mm. that, I did um, guy. Uh, and the young top that is in Germany is in the film. He's in um, he and another guy Pork escape in Germany, and he's a wonderful fella. And he's he's done well. He's yeah set up now in Germany, but he actually was born. He's South Sudanese, born in an Ethiopian refugee camp. Went back to South Sudan when he was fourteen. Left again when he was nineteen. Then went back to a camp in. Kenya. So he's been back and seen more again, and and you know, I, I and I think they their their perspective is to go forward. Mm. And I felt like, you know, I actually was long after I'd finished making the film, and I don't think I really understood it initially. But what I ended up realizing was they were running. They all running, and they never stopped. And oh, really? Okay, when, yeah. You know, like e e emotionally, and so they just and so, they were still oh, yeah. going. Yeah, and so related to that point, you were saying that you know that there's an incentive to to carry on because they they want to carry on running as an incentive in terms of being part of this this refugee team. Is that something? Because you you said that the Olympic Committee saw this as an opportunity as a kind of a one off. Did the the Olympic was there a sense of the Olympic Committee feeling as though? something would have to change in the future or, or it, it, it's going to run along this basis for a while or, you know, from, from that perspective in order to, you know, allow people to have, I, it sounds really ridiculous in terms of like the perspective, but ha there is this other route into the Olympics as it were for, for people who, who don't have statehood. Did, 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 was that something that happened? You know, those discussions happened at an early stage in terms of the uh, Olympic committee. Do you mean, the Olympic Committee, whether or not they were going to go do it again for Tokyo. Yes. Or, yeah. Um, I, I, under what yeah. basis? As far as I know, uh, all, all I know, because I didn't speak to the IOC, I never talked to the IOC about it. I stayed with Tegla's group. So I, I chose deliberately to stay with the runners, just this one group of runners. But there, there are other athletes, like there's a, sw a wonderful swimmer from Syria. There's a boxer from Ghana. There's some weightlifters from different. So there's different types, you know, of the, I think they're going to have 15 or 20 they were going to have at uh, Tokyo, so up from 10 across diverse sports. So the IOC, as far as I know, it was felt to be really successful in Rio, you know, yeah. both as a, PR exercise and a, and and they were like yeah this should be part of the Olympics this is a, a great thing and then having chatted to Sebastian Coe who's not IOC anymore but definitely knows that world really really well he was like nah this is you know as far as the um they're not the IAAF World Athletics as far as World Athletics are concerned they're a permanent fixture right you know this is going to stay I, and then I would say uh, the IOC uh, are on the back of that because 
actually, you know, this is a misconception. The Olympics is a very small role in these types of things. Like the, the World Athletics or Sebastian Coe's group have them at events for four years. Have them mm. at cross country, have them at uh, world relays, have them at um, world championships. So they've been doing it. They, they put in a lot of time and effort. And then Olympics comes along, like lots of things, and just we'll take it from here. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll probably get all the, we'll probably actually get all the press. <laughs> That's actually true. Yeah. And, and do you get a sense of how it's kind of funded and coordinated and, and how it will be in the future? Because it, it it was obviously started in um, in Kenya, and that works when you've got a group of people there, and also coaches and, and an established network. But obviously, there's you know there's huge amounts of refugees in places like northern Bangladesh, Lebanon, southern Turkey, and so what? How do you get a sense of how those groups are integrated into this program and and funded and managed, or is it more a case by case? individuals have to apply from those areas okay so it's quite a neat bundle if you just talk athletics if you just say running then mm. that, the the program developed by tegla in kenya is quite a neat idea you know like it's it is and in also it was her and those first athletes idea to do this so everyone else has come along and there's now runners and there's a guy in israel that you saw mm. in the film. There's a guy mm. in Sweden. So it's growing and changing. I think to answer your question, I think the, the concept in the program to reflect the diaspora of refugees around the world will have to grow and change, you know, and I think Tegla will, you know, will ha it'll have to expand. It'll have to attract other funding. And, you know, at the moment it's really – I think a goodwill exercise, you know, uh, an exercise by her, by the IOC, by World Athletics, by ON, and a number of other private sponsors who make it happen, you know, and, and are hauling it forward because it's not, it, it's not um, going to attract, because for some amount of time, the elite level performance is not going to happen. Yeah, and eventually, you know, is that what we're asking them to be? You know, I don't have the—I actually don't have the answer to that. You know, is that our expectations of competitive sport? And I actually asked Sebastian Coe this question: like, well, I'm at, I'm at watching a World Athletics event, and clearly, and 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 the refugee athletes are sometimes—it's—it could be sometimes you know, a little bit humiliating. You know, would you like to go out and run on a track with Mo Farah having only, you know, a cup with a crowd of, you know, at that stadium, 80,000 people, and and you've got to come in a whole lap behind him or something? Depends like, if he shares his juice. David. His <laughs> apple juice. His apple juice. His apple juice. His apple juice. <laughs> but I, I think actually the, the the fact that if they were at that level, they'd probably be co-opted by their the country that they're resident in. But actually, the power of this isn't for us to see 
a runner in fifth place out of 20 in the 5,000 and then go, by the way, that person in a, a coloured top that you might not see that often is the refugee team. I think the power of it is, is to, is to bring awareness to the world of yeah. individuals who are refugees. And there's no clearer statement of like the difference between our situation and their situation than having someone who's being lapped after five laps by Mo Farah, yeah. who they say yeah. this guy is from suddenly, oh, he's he's from northern Bangladesh because of Facebook have basically been empowering the Burmese to kill the Muslims in the northeast. And you're like, oh, you actually, yeah. I wouldn't have known that if it was. And that's the power of this team. That it was it was based in you know, Kenya to start with, but actually it, it could do so much good in, in building awareness. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I agree with I agree with that, but I also that when you've been trained you guys will understand this if you've trained hard and you work a lot you want to be good and mm. they actually do want it you know it's not they don't just want to participate they do want to be good and they are getting better and some of the top guys of the team like you know if they hadn't lost if they hadn't lost dominic in his event in kenya he was like ranked four or five so he was already like that's actually amazing, you know. Yeah, Kenya. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and in Switzerland, he's just blowing them away. So he's actually he. That was the thing that really got me. I'd sort of come to him expect, and then when I saw him and saw him run, and watched his footage of his road races, you know, he's guys that he's smashing people over the finish line in you know pretty good fields. Like, I'm not saying that's an Olympic, he's running in Swiss indoor and that's an Olympic field, but he's coming first. He's mm -hmm. winning races he's, and he's making a living out of running. And he's only 21. And he's, if you look at the trajectory of his times, he could actually be the athlete that, you know, they could potentially get there. But unless somebody in the organisation, unless they all come together and go, well, we have to forgive him. Mm. his misstep for, go for for going to Switzerland or if there's some meeting of minds there. I don't know. It's beyond me to figure that out. That's like and, and it's a very complicated sort of political and ethical dilemma for everybody involved, and I don't know how to solve it. Or yeah, because no one on earth can say that they'd rather be in his circumstances in a refugee camp than in his circumstances mm. now which is just the reality of life isn't it and do, do you get a sense that that do you does his stories resonate within the refugee camp do, or, and do the stories of these athletes come back and build confidence in the in, in the refugee camps amongst themselves or is it so far removed from what they perceive oh, they're very they're very connected and they're like I, I mean, I I catch them on WhatsApp talking to each other. So if I was in Nairobi, Dominic would, someone would turn the phone to me. Mm. They got internet at the camp, so they're turning the phone around. And Dominic says hi, and I'm waving to Dominic on the phone. And guys talking from Germany to someone back in the camp. So they're all really connected still. Mm. And they love each other because they're like family. They've grown up together and they've all been through these experiences together. So they're deeply committed to one another, even the people that have run away. Even the guys back in the camp have sort of forgiven, you know, like, mm. have sort of forgiven them. You know what I mean? Like, 
they yeah. they are yeah, yeah. like they are like a team and they are like a family. I mean, they're wonderful people. Like the actual the individuals, you know, the personalities of the people, they're just fantastic to um, hang out with and talk to because their perspective on life is so different. Um, but not not as much, much wiser. I mean, they're some of the wisest 22-year-olds I've ever met. Mm, like they just yeah. seen so many things. And you, you'll hear in the film, I had a friend of mine say like, oh, I've written down 27 quotes from the film. <laughs> you know, someone said this and I went back through and I wrote them down because I want to keep them. You know, a guy says like that, the one that, 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 that my favorite one is you have running like life. You have to accept the pain. If you accept the pain, you'll achieve something like from our contemporary world. That's all about mate. You should, you know, Making life easier. We should do the easy mm. things, and oh, this is the easy way. And we make this. We have this machine that does this and makes things easier. And there's these guys saying, "Accept the pain." You know, look it in the eyes, go forward. Where they mm. and and I think that's how they've managed to keep going. They're like, they're just phenomenal. That like, I'm gonna ignore that. Put the blinkers on. I'm gonna ignore that. I'm gonna ignore that, and I'm gonna keep going forward. And you know, having the team actually split, I think. And people going overseas, and I think you know it really hurt them a lot and wobbled them. But they both the guys away and the guys back in camp have survived it. The camp right through COVID, they completely redid all of the in, in Gong, completely redid all the landscaping. Athletes came together there. The ones that weren't way away, far away, the couple were in Nairobi, like James Niang and Tegler, and the different. Um, people that work there have been prepping it all. The bulldozers and everything immediately got out to prepare the track. So they're getting ready to go. So that facility is stronger than ever. Um, Guy, who's the, the, the one from Germany, he'd been held up on a training camp to Portugal with his German running club. They went last week or a week before. You know, he he's come through that whole period. They kept sending me videos of them running alone through the mountains through wreckage of buildings in beirut or like they they in um where's that guy in israel not beirut in uh anyway so they all kept Ramada. and running and training yeah and then there was another the girl rose who's out at the camp you know like mm. getting up in the five o'clock in the morning and then i taught them how to use uh, their cameras sideways and take videos of themselves running, you know, so that I could keep track of what they were doing. So they just kept getting up and training right through COVID. And, and they, they, I, I found that pretty amazing, actually. So do you see yourself creating a, a follow-up to, to run then? I don't, I'm not, I felt like I understood the, the, Back to the beginning of our conversation, like I understood when I got to the end or at a certain point, I'm not sure who with somebody on one of my video calls, because I did about three weeks every night of just video calls or four weeks calling and calling them and finding out how they were dealing with this final hurdle, because I saw the film like in a series of hurdles. They are faced with these challenges so that, if the film's a race, you know, running like in my mind, I always saw it like the gun went off when they were six, so the the starter pistol fired, 
and the gun mirrored real guns and all those kind of metaphors. And, you know, it's fairly, and that's how I had the film envisaged and that each time there would be these hurdles. The ones where the athletes actually ran away, I never thought, I mean, that was a complete surprise. I did not know that was going to happen, let alone happen again and again. And then when COVID came, I was like, holy shit. I mean, the Olympics isn't even going to happen. <laughs> like, I, I certainly didn't have that in my treatment or scripts, you know. So, but, and yet on my first phone calls to these guys that had trained that long, they were more concerned with how I was in light of the pandemic than with themselves. Like when I contacted them on the video, they were like, how are you? How's your family? Are you okay? Mm. They didn't mention the Olympics. They didn't, it wasn't, you know, but I read article after article about Australian Olympians saying things like, oh my God, I can't believe it. This is the end of the world for me. Mm. You know, in the papers, but these guys didn't, it didn't occur to them. They were like, oh, well, I guess I'll get up tomorrow and train and we'll just see what happens. You know, that was their attitude. And they were happy more that we, you know, I had a lot of the times I would go, hi, you know, I hadn't seen them for a, for a while because I think I saw them last in like November of 2019 and then I was supposed to meet them again in January. And at the end of January or early Feb, I think, when did all the lock, well, sometime around then, it all got shut down and then they were getting sent out to their camps and I was phoning them every day and I was thinking they're going to stop the Olympics because I, I was feeling it. And they were like, no, no, it's all going to be fine, just a blip. And then I thought, finally, this is, you know, they've been sent back to the refugee camp. The Olympics is off. They've actually said the Olympics is over. I phoned them to, to you know, as a filmmaker to get them crying on camera or something, mm. you know. And they were happy to see me. They weren't, you know, like, <laughs> and big beaming smiles. Yeah, yeah. Da damn that perspective. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a shame. You're not doing that. But, but they did that all along. And the story did that to me all along. Like it kept flipping. Like there was no obvious, I couldn't predict anything. So it was a really nice thing to have over three years because I would mm. – I would go in and film and do some story or travel with them somewhere, and then I would come back to my regular life and go and do a commercial job or something. Then I'd go back on the road and find them somewhere. And the story never went how I thought. Like it, it was always different. And but I'd I'd love uh I'd love to hear a follow up with Dominic in five years time. Yeah. And with I mean, someone, who, going well, someone who hasn't yeah. left, yeah, just to just to get their perspectives on where they both are now and how they, because I, th I think that would yeah. be a, a great contrast, the narrative of someone who stayed, someone who didn't, and just to see how they feel about each other, how they feel about their current, their choice, their conditions, you know, how life's changed. Yeah. Um, and, and come the next Olympics, can, because I love the idea of us as a podcast, getting fully like merched up in head to toe refugee team kit, you know, getting <laughs> full out supported. <laughs> you know, is, is it possible that we can buy um, merch to support the, to support the cause? See, that was my question too. Like I, from very early, cause I'm from a 
that background, I was like, right, we're going to get hats and shirts and special refugee shoes called the Kakuma and all this sort of stuff. And then, I mean, yeah, that's, that's an, it, immediately, that's another thing. If you're stateless and you're dealing with the UN, you can't be profit-making through the vehicle of refugee, refugees, e- even if it's for – so you can't make refugee team gear for sale commercially. Like oh, really? That, okay. As, yeah, as far as I know, well, like, because, I mean, a few of us in the project, like, we – I mean – if I is, is there a way to word it that – because if, if instead of it doesn't make money, if, if all of the money is spent on – and each, for example, if you – attribute every top directly to a pair of um you know a pair of trainers that on then give and so therefore it's cost every every interaction is cost neutral i think i think already like when we launched the film we launched on world refugee day and the Mm. guys at on did a like 15 percent global sales went to the team or 20 percent or something for that day they did this amazing like gift to the athletes for that day but they did it neutrally without, um, you know, without give and take, without trading a refugee shirt. And I, mm. I got into this idea. I mean, it's still – I will mention it again because I talk occasionally to the guys, you know, up at on who are supporting the team. But um, I, I believe it was, a, com- a, you know, more of a complex issue with the UNHCR, that it's mm. – it's it's a it's a strange territory, you know. Like, and in some ways, you know, it's a. It, some ways it's bad, but in some ways it's good too. You know, some things. Yeah. I think you, you don't you don't have to commercialize them, or you don't have to. But so I I mean I would have been happy either way. I think my point mm. is that I mean the refugee team tracksuits are phenomenally cool. But you definitely can't get one as an outsider. <laughs> <'Cause> I tried. <laughs> I mean, I tried if to, if I Scotland tried. invade or something, you, who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> they're pretty cool tracksuits, and like, I would have loved to have had one of those things. But anyway, they, 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 um, they. I mean, that's the other really funny thing. Like, you know, you go off to go off to these. Um, Places, but the, I was just thinking about the tracksuits. When I, I went to the World Cross Country in Aarhus in Denmark, mm. and the Kenyan the Kenyans get off the team bus, you know, and they're like got these puffer coats down to their knees with Kenya on the back, you know, like they all Nike, and they all like look absolutely like you know rock stars. And then I think we gave the our team, the refugee team, a lift in our van <laughs> to the track. And, like, because otherwise they were going to have to get the bus, you know, like go and get a public bus or something. And it was like that was the difference. And then we they had little thin training tops because we just, they just didn't have that kind of similar gear or support, you know. And it was mm. like 30 participants. Uganda get off the bus, it's like 30 of them. Um, you know, and and Nike's like eating up East African running. Well, the Ethiopians yeah. are all there with Adidas, and yeah. you know they're all in the elite gear. And um, you know Jamal who ran there, one of the guys that was interesting too because Denmark 
the entire East African um, component was refused entry. Oh wow! Now, I, yeah, so they were they, the entire team was shut down. The um, five athletes, the runners from Nairobi, there was a loophole or sort of an aberration in the Danish law so that they allowed refugees from Israel and Sweden, but not Kenya. So they all got refused entry. They didn't know until they actually arrived? Uh, no, the, as they were leaving, they didn't get the visas in time, so they didn't get on the plane in Kenya, mm. so they didn't turn up. And this is classic. I, mean, this is, I, was, I was in Denmark because mm. I've got a passport. But who isn't there? The stateless people. So that was my yeah. first introduction to like, oh, yeah, real basic things can't be performed by someone who's stateless. Like getting yeah. on a plane is extra hard. But then certain other countries, yeah, so there's these little, you know, little little sort of subtle you know, privileges afforded countries outside of Africa because of risk yeah. factors and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I bet. So there was those complications too. Now, I mean, it, if, it, it, the details of all this, not all the details are in the film, was actually quite mm. hard. It's probably better off being a book, actually, because <laughs> you know, the complexity of it sometimes is beyond the film. You know. Now, if people want to see the film, what's the best way for them to see it in different territories? It depends because it's it's sort of on a global. It's it's in about fifty something countries, like running on net different you know, uh, sport channels and mm. HD channels and things like that. But the sponsor has a permanent or has a has the whole feature available. Um, if you put in, if you just go to YouTube and you go like run the athlete refugee team story, it'll come up as the film unless yeah. at that, unless it's geo, so it's geo, track so if your country is currently running the film you know like uh on eurosport or something you won't be able to watch it there but uh okay um, do you know what i mean so but yeah uh, i think like at the moment in australia i can watch it on youtube um in America, you can you can watch it in the uk yeah yeah so if you can watch it so if, if it's not running that you know that period of time on the networks you can watch it there so there's Amazing. a link, um, yeah, you can, you can well, get it there to watch. I'm putting it in the Facebook group now, um, but do watch it. If, well, I mean, I think everyone will watch it because, one, it's available to watch, and <laughs> two, it's an amazing story. And there's, and there's not much to do at the moment. There's, you can go running or you can – well, make, hopefully it makes you want to run. It made me, it made me get back into running. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. I just, it just makes you want to go because it, it's just uh, – you can see even what it all boils down to is that it does feel good to go running. And like, even for those guys, it remove all the other politics and all the other Olympics, everything just nice for them to run. They, that makes them feel good. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Have you got any other yeah, questions? JD? No, no, I think we've answered all of them. Um, I'm just, I'm just slightly miffed that the refugee team have better merch than us. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's lucky bastards. But like us, they don't make any money out of it, so that's. <laughs> yeah, and if, if, you, if you, oh, go ahead, yeah, go on. No, no. If you do, good. if you do discover um, that they can suddenly create 
merch that we can get behind for the Olympics. I just, you. I just love the idea of us all going deep and actually come, you know, going to a bar somewhere in in London or wherever the do battles are around the world, and all going mental for uh, for this one team that we know are probably not going to win. But <laughs> it's not about that. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. So if people want to stay in touch with you or to follow your future projects, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, my Insta, I've got not hella terrific at all that, but like I've, I've sent an Instagram thing. I emailed you my Instagram, which is richbelow at me.com. And um, you'll see, uh, yeah, whatever other projects I'm, I'm up to. And then... Uh, yeah, that's 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 sort of the place to to see what I'm up to. I've got different films and things on Vimeo, but uh, just my Instagram will give you most things. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Richard. And thanks. What a pleasure. For making... I love talking about them. They're great. They're the they're the greatest people, and uh, yeah, their story deserves to be out there. So I'm really, I'm I'm just stoked to, that you guys enjoyed it and and got a lot out of it. You know. Hundred percent, and and please do stay in touch because we'd love to hear about updates. I I think I'm I'm going to see if we can set up an interview with Dominic. At, you know, maybe in half a year's time, maybe after the Olympics, just to get a view on on how I things are. Dominic, him. you know, Dominic and Guy would love to talk. You know, I know Guy is a great talker. The guy in Germany, um, really interesting perspective. Um, you know, and. And Dominic as well, because his career is like on the up and up. You know, he's he's flying. I'm in touch with his. He's got a wonderful coach that's in the film, the Swiss guy, mm. and uh, they they keep me up to date with you know whatever his latest times are. But he just seems to be, you know, on an upward trajectory. Like that mm. guy's killing it at the moment. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's amazing to hear. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, um, thank you. Thanks again. And if you're ever in London, let me know. And we'll go and grab a beer or yeah. something. Yeah, I will. Definitely will. Brilliant. Thanks, Cheers, Rich. Thanks All the so best. Much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. Oh, that was really good. That was really yeah. good. Um, yeah. There's, there's, the thing is, okay, so there's two things that I, I got from that. Yeah, um, it's just... It, our perspective, um, how we, we we always want the the narrative, don't we, of like, mm. oh, rescued someone from a, a refugee camp, uh, put them in the Olympics. Uh, isn't this amazing? You know, this, this is this is sort of a feel good story. And actually, they, it's like they don't give a they don't really give a shit. They've got perspective. They've had to escape what they've escaped, and they don't, you know, they just don't have the same connection to it or, or, or what's important you know but it, which it's obviously it's, it, it it comes out when the fact that something like the olympics is cancelled and you've got all these athletes going oh it's the worst thing ever it's the worst thing ever and these guys are like oh we'll just we'll just carry on training <laughs> but it, it's it's lovely that yeah they do love running and there there's always a worry that there's going to be some cynical bastard who's got a son who's quick who's just being pushed into running because it's their way out which you would you'd completely understand but that it just doesn't seem to happen like that these are people who genuinely do love running um and and got involved without really understanding the benefits yeah outside yeah. of just the activity yeah absolutely that's it isn't it and i think that that comes back to it doesn't it is the fact that you know if, if you don't have that understanding of like oh this is a way out for us this is a you know a, you know this is the, a, our path to 
um, having some element of, of, of security for our future, then, you know, then you obviously you get people doing it for, for that purpose. But if you have mm. no preconception that this in some way is going to, to bring you, you know, money or some kind of security and you're doing it out of your love for it. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Like when he, when he said that, you know, he received his first, uh, his first wage from it and did not yeah. do that. I think that point it made about, you know, getting the, uh, getting the shoes was really, yeah. really interesting. You know, that when, like, when you get five pairs of shoes, you're like, what am I going to do with five pairs of shoes? Of course <laughs> I'm going to give it to all of my cousins who don't have shoes. <laughs> like, yeah. It, 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 it makes perfect sense when you look at it from a, a fundamentally different perspective as well. The, the thing that I didn't ask about, and I just, I just wonder, um, uh, and it's probably not that big an issue because you know the the, the team is very very small, but mm. there must be a because you know from uh, at the moment a lot of countries are very very hostile to immigration, so immigration yeah. seems to be something. So they're very very hostile to immigration. So taking an, a, a refugee team somewhere must be a very quite quite a political thing to do because you yeah. think, okay, get a bunch of people who are refugees who are looking actively looking for somewhere to seek refuge and i'm allowing them into who you're going to struggle to catch to, to yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they've been training to get away from you the whole time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it certainly is and I just, I just, it's, I, it's like almost like the, you know, it's almost a, I suppose it's a, of course, it's a kind of a political move to, to, mm. to you know, to, to create something like that in a way, in order to gain awareness and stuff like that. But it also kind of forces, um, forces nations to, uh, to face up to the fact that, you know, treating, treating refugees like their own nation, like that, you know, the, the, the amount of refugees could, could be a nation in itself in terms of the, mm. the, the numbers of refugees. It's a really smart oh, yeah. way of, of highlighting the issue in, in, in one way, because it's, it's when you think about the only time that we hear about refugees in this country, from from a, uh, a, it's a from Nigel Farage, almost like from if you're passive, if you don't go out and you read specifically about that mm. and are actively engaged in that, and you sit passively and you just you know look at the headlines that either appear on the television in front of you, um, on online or in newspapers, your perception of refugee, you know, your perception yeah. of refugees would be hugely um, influenced by that, or not necessarily influenced by that, but that would be what you would. Yeah, you would see that well, your, your viewpoints are what you take in, aren't they? Well, that's, that's all there is. That's all there yeah. is. You might know the stuff behind it, but that's what that's that is the 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 uh, the, the face of of, uh, of of refugees that that's you know portrayed by the media. And, and it'll be interesting also to see whether in fifteen years' time, say, if there is still that camp that is, and Sudan is no longer at war. And South Sudan and Ethiopia is in peacetime. Whether is that still then a refugee? And are you, a, if, as a son of a refugee, are you a refugee, or are you then um, naturalised to be Kenyan? Or and so whether they, you're not that either. Then, you're, I, I don't think you are. I, I, I don't think you it'll are. It'll be country, like country by country. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're born, if you're born in a refugee camp, you're still, you still don't have statehood. Um, yeah, you have, um, actually, you have to actually seek seek uh, refuge there, don't you? Before and then, when you're born, you you have it, but you have to be accepted. It's um, I, I, it, it, 
it's just really interesting like with the because of course all the different all the different organizations is really interesting about the UNSO and all those different organizations and the different mm. you know agendas that they that, that you know they have which all align at the, at the same time at this particular time but it's I you know wonder about whether there's a potential yeah. you know, diverging like if this refugee team gets bigger and bigger and bigger you know how will the IOC that's kind of what I was asking how will have the IOC you know think it's great at the moment because you know it's a relatively small team but they you know it, it's if the refugee it team like beats a kenyan for for example would the kenyan still back it <laughs> i mean that's an interesting one you think you think that that wouldn't be wouldn't be an issue but you you know it, i suppose it depends on how it how it grows and yeah you know, and that's the thing isn't it you know if you it, i suppose you know and it, who's funding it and there's just there's so many aspects to to bring into that as yeah. well um but at the moment i think just just the just the, the role that it plays in terms of highlighting that refugee because it was it was a big statement when that happened you know when they had a refugee team at uh, at rio it, it was it was a big thing because you mm. thought, oh what oh it did like you say you're absolutely right it got muddied with the fact that there were these other athletes competing mm. who weren't refugees but they were basically from drug taking they you know drug cheat nations Mm. um which kind of confused it a little bit it, like it, independent athletes um and what happens when they become refugees from a drug a drug cheating nation and then you're like well, well which one are they but um yeah do better what do you think is um how do you feel about this because it is it's such a nice story but it is hard to see how politically it's gonna fit with everyone i think our listeners tend to be fairly liberal and would be all supportive of this but um who's seen the documentary let us know let us at badboyrunning.com so if you really enjoyed this episode some other good episodes to potentially listen for documentary makers we've had the documentary maker who made the skid row marathon if you're interested in running i guess in areas of of conflict um stephanie case the amazing stephanie case talks about setting up a women's running team in uh, well not a team just a women's running group in afghanistan and also how she trains for some of the hardest ultras in the u.s embassy grounds or on the roof of a building in the gaza strip in palestine <laughs> amazing episode any you'd recommend jd uh will ryle i think his is <laughs> uh, well what are you laughing at it just always makes me laugh will's episode because he told us so much love it love yeah, it no I, but it does, it does it, it, he is he is very frank and very honest and that kind of gives you a real sort of perspective around um how things work i mean that's like that's probably the the, the most transparent view of how things work uh, yeah uh, that you're he talks, and, and it, it links in actually with what we were saying with dominic it's it's the not the very best african runners on earth but the level below they get shipped out to prize-winning races around europe um as part of run fast and they all work on commission they all split up they decide who's going to win it's really really interesting to get a sense of what happens when you're not in the national team where does your career go um well thanks for listening guys if you like this one please leave us a review and uh, ideally on itunes but wherever you get your podcasts and if you haven't done it yet come on guys come on we're not asking too much but do subscribe do share this episode with friends if there's anyone you'd like to recommend we interview email me david at badboyrunning.com
Uh, if you want to join the Facebook group, head over to Facebook, search for Bad Boy Running Podcast, answer three questions and you're in. There's some very interesting discussions going on at the moment, mainly around treadmills. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> wow. Wow. I want to get involved in that. Uh, which uh, which is you... oddly, oddly controversial. Uh, quite surprising. Um, but yeah, that's, that tends to be most discussions in the group. But yeah, head on, head on into the group. It, it, they're, they're a fun bunch. If not, actually, you might want to avoid it. And, and if you want to ask questions to guests in the future, we didn't do it today because we didn't get coordinated enough, but um, follow us on Instagram and we mostly post in advance who we're talking to so you can then ask your question directly to the individual involved. Um, great. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Fuck you, buddy.